Okay, I very quickly, I'm going to say certain things. And these are instructions by God's Spirit that um, I will want you to um, observe, particularly from the next section. Please, um, I know that after this session, you go for you go for a break and you know you eat and you come back and things like that. Um, but what I want to say is that when you come into for the next section, I want you to come into the next section praying. Okay? What did I say? Praying. The reason is because um, I want the Spirit of God desires that everyone here should set their hearts, right, concerning what you want the Spirit of God to begin to walk in your life. You see, the way God uses men, right, the way God uses men generally, the way God uses men is that those men set their heart on certain desires that are in the Holy Ghost. Certain desires that are in the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you a story. I think I'll share it with a couple of friends about Riyad Bonke. Riyad Bonke just finished um, seminary, I think, in the UK. And at that time, I think they still do that. I think they still do that now. That uh, London is very quick to go to Germany. I think you can use a train. Yeah. So, so he got to the subway and. The train didn't come on time. I think there was a delay or something, you know. And so he just decided that let him just let him just take a walk, right? Let him just take a walk. So that's how he was just taking the walk, taking the walk. And I can't remember the person he found, but he he found himself in the house of an old-time evangelist. The man was just sitting down in his chair, and he happened to just knock that door, right? And uh, he now wanted to enter, so the care assistant said, oh, it's not, it's not body. But the man knew it was Riyad Bonke. He said, let him come in, let him come in, let him come in. And he came in, he sat down, and for a couple of few minutes, they shared God's word. But something happened in that meeting, right? That man, that old-time evangelist, decided to minister to Riyad Bonke. He ministered and were, you know, it was full of tears. And the man laid hands on Riyad Bonke. The following week, the man passed on. The old-time evangelist passed on. You see, Riyad Bonke says, and I quote, that he believes that God orchestrated that meeting that he might receive the things that he desired the most, the miraculous. I'm quoting him. You see, do not, one of the ways you receive from ministers of the gospel, right? Three ways you receive from ministers of the gospel. Number one, by faith. Number two, honor. Okay, what's the third one? I can't remember the third one. What's the third one? Perception. Thank you. Three ways. Faith. Honor and perception. 
What does that mean? That is, first of all, faith you believe, right? That this man is called of God. Like for Jesus, remember in Mark, Mark um, is it five or six? Where they did not six. You know, they, they, they said that, ah, the Bible says Jesus could not do any mighty work. That is God in the flesh that could not do anything. Anything. Why? Because the people that he was trying to heal and speak to, they knew him. They were like, ah, it's not you. Ah, I've seen you. I've seen you. I came to work in your shop. You did not deliver the, the goods on time. I know you now. Some of them may even be the one who may have taken care of Jesus when he was a baby. He said, I was there when I was wearing your pampas. What do you want to do? That's how they were looking at him. So the Bible says, he marveled at their own belief. If you check the Greek word of that marvel, it's like they, ah, ah. That means Jesus must have attempted and say, be healed. Literally, you don't have. I mean, you know, say, rise up and walk. I come, I'm not standing up. I know you. Where are you coming from? <laughs> you know, so nothing could happen. So, of course, if you read on, Jesus now had to send his disciples to do the work. But the point is, they didn't have faith, right? It's not even about faith. Sorry, I take that back. They dishonored him, right? Their perception about who he was was very wrong. Hallelujah. So, I'm telling you that when the second session comes in, just come in and just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Let the fire of God's spirit stir yourself up, right? And set your heart on what you want to receive by the spirit of God. You see, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter, right? What your pastor, when he lays his hands on you, say to you. It doesn't matter how. You see, the ministry of laying on of hands, you are the one that channels that ministry <laughs> by the power of God. It doesn't matter. I have been in meetings where my mentor did not even say anything, but I know what I want. He will just touch you. And something will happen. There was a story he said one day that, you know, my teaching, I'm just preparing for second session. It's very important I say it now. There was a story he said one day that, he told himself that he's not going to lay hands on anybody. He's not going to touch anybody. He said he's not going to do it. Even when the Holy Ghost said do it, he said no. You know that kind of thing. He said he's not going to do it. So that's how he came to the meeting and he was just teaching. You know, and if you know my mentor very well, he walks up and down just like me, you know. I learned it from him anyway. So he was walking up and down as he's teaching. So that's how he just walked. And he was just teaching, you know. And there was a lady there who had, I think, um, internal bleeding. She was sick. And she was bleeding internally. But she was in that meeting. And he was just walking, you know, teaching. And he just said, so he was tired and not did like this. So he was just teaching. He was just teaching. And he left there. And he was going. And he continued. The lady gave a testimony that as soon as he touched him, the pain stopped instantly. The man of God did not want to lay hands. Amen? But you see, Holy Ghost, right, is doing all that things. Praise God. He didn't want to lay hands, but the Holy Ghost is doing all that things. And besides, that lady, before she came to that meeting, she has said that, Pastor, will lay hands on me and I will receive my healing. She has been saying it. So, our words gave direction 
to the power of God. That's how power works. Power works by words. See, I can tell you without reservation, the gift of healing at work in a man's life works first by affirmations. That man is conscious that the power of God is working in him. He doesn't doubt it. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. If you doubt it, it cannot work. Forget. Because you have to be conscious of the indwelling. You have to be. I remember a friend of mine. His name is Shagun. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God that is healing here. He told me, he said, look, when the thing was not working, I was seeing it working. When he did, that's how he started. Before you know it, because you see, by those affirmations, you are setting your heart, right, to constantly depend on the move of the Spirit at work in you. You are not choosing your experience. You are not choosing your circumstances. You are not. Do you understand? So, when you do that in meetings like this, right, because it's in meetings like this that the Holy Ghost moves in greater dimension. Kenneth Hagin calls it the corporate anointing. We have a greater measure in the corporate anointing. He says, I will bring my own individual anointing. He brings us, you bring us, you bring us, you bring us, and we see an overflow. Amen? So when you come, don't come, I told you on uh, Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday, that by the Spirit of God, you have been granted grace and privilege. To hear these things. It's not a joke. I didn't, I, I'm not saying it to psych you. You understand? It's not a joke. Because there is a plan of God for your life. A great plan of, of God for your life. Are you following? So, I'm saying this to stir you up. Whether you see somebody here, you don't see somebody here, you get into the hall. You are praying of God. Can also be at work in me. We have the same spirit. It's called the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the move of the spirit. The move of the spirit is linked by copying. Ah, I, I remember. I, I can. I can. I can. I see. Um. Um. Uh. What's, I don't want to use this word. It's, it's, I don't know if you know it. They call it the word of faith. The word of faith movement by Ken Hagen. They used to say that there's something they call first responders. It's not biblical. I mean, it's not like it is in the Bible. That's what I mean. It's not theology, but it's about it's, it's in accordance to the move of the spirit. First respondent. So somebody can just be teaching, right? Somebody can just be teaching, right? And somebody just shout, glory! You understand? You know, places that are not very in tune with the spirit, they just look at him. He's mad. You understand? Just like when Stanley shouted glory, some people looked at him like this. Ah, Ross, we know now. Calm down. You know what looking at? You know? But you see, in other places, when that happens, you will just see another set of people. Push out glory. You see, that's what they are doing. You see, that person saw that move of the Holy Ghost and jumped. And jumped. I remember, you, you people have heard this story many times, I'm sure. People who are very familiar with Bishop David Oedipo, who went for um, Kenegin's camp meeting, too. You understand? And he saw Papa Egin just teaching. Only him in that meeting saw the countenance of Papa Egging changed. And you see, some people can some people have even been granted that. And you say, Wow, that's nice. Ah, this man is truly called. 
That's what you just said. But Bishop saw it, right, and said by the Spirit of God, right, the grace that's operating, right, upon him has come upon me. He said, he said it. He said it. You see, those words up gave direction to God's power. He has been granted to see something. So, if you are just here, you look at everybody's looking, Omo, you just co- continue to be looking in life. That, yeah, don't say, ah, it's the truth. He doers of the word. Do, do. He didn't say be hearers or lookers. Amen? So, by seconds, just come and pray. Just pray. This meeting, prayer. <laughs> I just, I wanted to say this meeting, prayer has gone. And I remember that joke. That yesterday, uh, people was, uh, pastor was saying that some men have labored ahead for me. <laughs> Thank you, those who labored ahead. I can see it's working. <laughs> some people even fasted. <laughs> Thank you so much. But my point is, see, come into the meeting prepared. Come into the meeting. You see, many people don't like the Corinthian church. But the Corinthian church is a perfect example of how to demonstrate the spirit. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he said, I write to you because you come behind in no gifts. So, the reason why Paul now wrote verse 14 is because the way they used to demonstrate the things of the spirit, everybody used to do it, ah, I will do my own, I will do my own. So Paul said, calm down, let us do it one by one. So that means they came into the church. Mataka parado shata. Pastor, I have a word. I just, no, it's me first. No. But it's okay. I know, I know you have the word. Just relax. Relax. So Paul tells them, do it. That's how he ended first Corinthians 14. Read the verse 40. He says, let all things be done decently and in order. He didn't say, don't stop. He said, well, this one by one. Okay? One by one. So that eagerness. We must have that attitude. We must have it. Hallelujah. Amen. So don't, don't just come and sit down and be, asking, be talking to your friend. Was the rice sweet? That's not the, what? You are not here for rice. Even though pastors say we are also doing rice uh, meeting, food, uh, food <laughs> meeting. Because food, I, you know, in this, in, this, in this camp meeting, I know that this is the first camp meeting I know that they used to serve plenty food. While well, I all the one I've gone, you just see this more, one small rice and the meat, the meat is like this. You are, you are seeing big. Gym. <laughs> it's here, it's this place, oh. And you guys even take home. Where will they, where will you do coming in? I say you should carry. No! So you are enjoying, you are, you are in the kingdom of God, yeah. <laughs> so, let me, so. What I'm trying to say in other words that be sensitive, right? When you come, be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. A lot of things are going to be walking through you after this place. I'm telling you, a lot of things. They'll be walking. So just be sensitive and you'll see what God's Spirit will begin to do, even in this place. Are you ready? Are you sure? All right, let's do today. Okay, praise God. <clears throat> so I'm sort of going to um, do just 
help. Pastor Emma is going to continue, but Pastor Emma taught certain things that I also want to share, continue to share, which is very important. And we're going to look at it again, just like how I've been looking at it from doctrine, right? From a doctrinal perspective. What doctrine means teaching. And when what, what teaching does is that teaching means that you have to open a lot of scriptures. You have to study. You have to corroborate. You have to interpret. So it is labor. It's intense. Amen? So don't, 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 don't um, sleep. Okay? So Matthew chapter 16. And I'm just going to pick up from something I said on Monday. That's the first day. First day. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, you guys have been listening to the teachings. Have you been listening to them? Huh? Okay. I hope I hope you have been you have been blessed so far in this uh, conference, this believers meeting. Huh? Okay. In the believers meeting, the first thing is that we give the word of God first place. That's what it does. We give the word of God first place. We all I learned I heard I didn't I mean I didn't hear it from Kenny Hagen directly, but I, although I've listened to the tape already before, but in a believers meeting on the Holy Ghost meeting. We give the word of God first, please. Then after that, right, we now give room for the demonstration of the spirit, which will begin from today, that's this evening, into tomorrow. Okay? So we're going to just allow ourselves, we're going to express much more. You understand? So when there is, when there is joy in the Holy Ghost, eh? when there is joy in the Holy Ghost, when you see, when you see a brother running, Jonathan, you see what's making him run? run? You run first and see why you will not run. You understand? Because you see that joy is an element, is an at, is the atmosphere rather of the new creation man. Sadness is not found in that is nature. Do you understand? Early, early this year, I think it was early this year, Pastor Kostin, those of you that used to look at Pastor Kostin's status, every time Pastor Kostin, oh, I'm joyous. If you did not write joy there, I'm not a man of God. He will write joy, rejoice, happy, you know, you know, because that is the, you don't have to come to church, you understand? I have, I have rejoiced on the street of Cyprus, Turkey, and Nigeria. People just be looking at me like this, oh, yeah, I'm doing my own business, is he okay? So that when I come to church, I know that that's the practice of the spirit. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Matthew 16. So Matthew 16, let's read verse uh, 19. This is what I want to read, verse 19. Okay, let's start from 18 first. It says, And I say unto thee, thou that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? He says in verse 19, in verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, what did I say, if you can remember, the keys of the kingdom are? What's the keys of the kingdom? Huh? <laughs> Responsibilities. Thank you. Responsibilities. So, so what did we explain the responsibilities of the kingdom to be? When you say responsibility, what is the responsibilities of the kingdom? What's that? The preaching of the gospel, right? Now, if you notice in that verse 19, it says, whatsoever you do what? Bound shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt lose 
shall be, I mean, loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. A very, um, something very similar to that was in John 20. Let's just, let me show you that one. I know I quoted it on Monday, but just put your, put your hand in Matthew 16. We'll be back there. So go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Uh, yeah, John 20. So Jesus is raised from the dead. And in verse 22, let's read from 21. He says, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father had sent me, even so send I you. Verse 22. And when he had, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive he the Holy Ghost. Now look at 23. Whatsoever what? Since you what? You remit, they are remitted unto them, and whatsoever sins you retain, they are retained. This is authority, right? This is authority. And that authority is found in the preaching of the gospel. How can God give us, how can God make us a custodian of how sins are forgiven? How can God do that? Yeah, are we, is God saying that we are the one that died for the sins of the world? No. But what God is saying, by the preaching of the gospel on your lips, sins can be retained and sins can be remitted. How? When a man believes the gospel, right, the sins are what? Remitted. But where are they believing the gospel from? On your lips, isn't it? You are preaching. So you see that we have a responsibility. Now, how will a, the sin of somebody be retained when the man says, I don't want to hear, when he rejects the gospel? Again, it is coming from your lips. That is the keys of the kingdom. If you live here and somebody tells you there are five keys of the kingdom. Number one is financial key. Number two, pack your Bibles and walk out. Say, so why are you walking? That is not the keys of the kingdom, sir. Amen. Don't believe all those nonsense. Praise God. See, God cannot give you, let's say those, let's say they are even keys. God cannot give you a key that another man can give you. What, what will now make him God? God will have to give you something that is beyond the supernatural, or that is in the supernatural, rather. That is beyond the natural. That's what I mean to say. Do you understand? Okay. So back to Matthew 19, um, Matthew 16. Now we're reading here. So, so, now, <clears throat> so in Matthew 16, verse 19, so when he says, I will give unto the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's something that I want us to pay attention to in this place, and it is... What I call, now of course other theologians call it uh, the context of geography, but I, I don't kind of, I don't use that personally in my study. I use what I call an environmental context. The environment where Jesus is exactly. And I'm going to show you that before I explain. I want to show you what Caesarea is and why Jesus will say the gates of hell. I just want to show you something there. Now. So, write this down. So, write this down. So, in Matthew 18, first of all, when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, 
and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what I want to show you there is that when Jesus says, upon this rock, what I want you to know is that Jesus was actually pointing to a place. He was using that place as a means to communicate what he wants to say. If there was a place they were here, and that was, that's what he was using to now communicate. Just like when we talk about the Holy Communion, the communion table, when they, they, they brought those, you know, he used the cup, right, to communicate something spiritual, isn't it? And Pastor has done justice to that a lot. So it's the same thing that is going on here, and I'm going to show you, but I'm going to build it from a place first. So, so write this down. In the four Gospels, in the four Gospels, please, I want you to actually write. I'm dictating on purpose because I want to give you a very a, a great context for this. In the four Gospels, many things that Jesus did were deliberate. And the details were deliberate. For example, for example, he was born in Bethlehem, right? Right? You know, Bethlehem is a place, isn't it? Okay. Now, Bethlehem is a town of, Bethlehem is the town of David. Do you know that? Bethlehem is the town of David. Why? That is deliberate because he is going to be called the son of David. So, God used that specific place, right, to make sure that we can easily relate it to him being the son of David. So, <clears throat> so, now, again, when he fled to Egypt, right? You know he fled to Egypt, right? You know he fled to Egypt. Now, and then they now came back to Nazareth. Now, the nation Nazareth, or the place called Nazareth, is a, I'm going to show you the place, I'm going, we're going to go there now, is a city around what is called Galilee. But let's, let me show you. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Let's see something there in Matthew 4. I want you to see what Galilee is called. Matthew, I want you, I'm going to show you, we're going to look at three texts. I want to show you what Galilee is called. Matthew 4. Verse 15. Please look at it all. It says, The land of Zab Zabulon and the land of Nephthalim by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. What did he say? Of the what? Of the Gentiles. So, Galilee is a location around the Gentile nation. Huh? And do you know what? Jesus actually began his ministry in Galilee. He began his ministry in Galilee. Praise God. Look at, look at it. Look at it. Verse, uh, verse 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is prone. Verse 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he began to preach the gospel in Galilee. Right? Now, now, Galilee is 
where other nations are staying. If you look at what we just read, uh, can we go back to verse 16 or no, verse 15 of where we just read? He said, look at the nations there, Zebulon, Naphtali, and by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. These are Gentile nations. These are Gentile nations that Jesus began his ministry there. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. So you may ask, what's the significance of that? The significance of that is that Jesus or God is factoring in the Gentiles, right? In his theology. Is factoring the Gentiles. For example, are we Gentiles? We are. We are not Jews. Amen. Praise God. Is there anybody here from Judah? Is there from the tribe? You are. You are. You are, you are in, from one place in Africa. <laughs> what did I say? Isaiah nine. Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah nine. So he says, look at it, verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such as... Sorry. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be as such as was in our vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously affect her by way of the sea beyond Jordan in where? In Galilee of where? Of the nations. The Galilee of the nations. So, now, if you, if you, you can check this out later. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, where Jesus gave the great commission. He gave the great commission in Galilee. It's deliberate. It's deliberate. So, location is part of theology. Location is part of theology. Location is part of theology. Can we, can, we can we see the significance now? Right? So, because Jesus could have just gone to somewhere else and start his ministry. But he wanted us to understand that the Gentiles are also involved in his work. Amen? Uh, David. David, where's David? Uh, do you have the pictures? Uh? Ah, please, I want to show you a picture. Yeah. So go back to Matthew 16. Go back to Matthew 16. Uh, the first picture I want you to show, please, is the pictures where there are, there are labels. They labeled it. I sent it to David. I hope he has it. I think it's the second picture. There are three pictures I want to show you here. <clears throat> What's happening? You can't find it. You use your imagination here. You know. <laughs> use your imagination. 
what's go, what's happening? Someone should come and tell me what's happening. Because of time. So go to Matthew 16. Okay. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Yeah. Ah. Perfect. No, no, no. The other one. The other one. This one doesn't have labels. Good. Thank you very much. Now. You see? Now. The place that is called the temple of Augustus. Can you see that? And cave entrance. In Jewish history, right? That place is called the gates of hell. Uh, I, I want to be seeing it here too. That place is actually called the gates of hell. Now, show the one without labels. Let me just show you. No, show the other one. Just We'll come back to this one. Yeah, that's it. Huh? That's it. Huh? It's called, actually, in Jewish culture, it's called the entrance of hell. In Jesus' days, that's what, that's what it was called. It's showing now. Thank you, sir. That's what it was called. Okay? So, it is well known huh? by the Jewish community, right? In Caesarea. So, now, listen, oh. Jesus is about to preach about a reality in his kingdom, right? Jesus being an excellent teacher, right, takes them to a location. Now, it is said historically that Jews cannot pass. Go back to the other one that is labeled. Jews cannot pass this place because you have to be fast. Because in this place, there is different kinds of idolatry that happens there. Different kinds. Name it. And they used to worship a god called the god of Pan. That's his name. Very good. Pan. So you can see how many idols are here. We have the temple of Augustus. Augustus is who? Caesar. Caesar, he was worshipped in the Roman Empire. In fact, write this one down. Um, this is theology, you know, I told you, location is part of theology. Caesar was called Divinus Filius in the Greek. It means son of God. That was his title. Are you, there? you can check this out. You can check it out. It's not this thing. So, different kind of idols, right, were being worshipped. 
Now, one of the major idols that was being worshipped is this place, that one that they call the Court of Pan. Huh? It's an idol there. It's a Greek god. So, now, this picture I'm showing, just leave, leave this one here, leave this one here. Now, what you are looking at here, different atrocities used to happen. So, in one place, they are worshipping Caesar. In another place, they are worshipping Pan. In another place, they are actually, it is said that historically, they, the god of fertility, the god of fertility is being worshipped here too. Right? And the way they observe, uh, they the worship the god is that they will do public sex in this place. Sexual immorality goes on. So, different kind of things, different kind of immorality is going on there. Jesus now carries his disciples. <laughs> Jesus now carries, no, they are Jews. You could imagine the face of Peter or John. You know, what kind of, they are irritated. But Jesus takes them there. Let, let me just give you context so you can write, so you can explain to somebody later. So, we can write this down. So, the gate of Hades, that's this place, the location. The gate of Hades, a particular Greek god, Pan, is being worshipped there, or has been worshipped there. Where various atrocities, sexual immoralities, and horrible deeds are being done. I should also, you should also write this down. They also sacrifice their children there. They sacrifice their children in that place. So, <clears throat> it is said that Caesarea, that's that city, Caesarea, is known for pagan worship. Pagan worship. And they called it the gates to the underworld. That's what they called it then. The gates to the underworld. That is AKA L, right? Yeah, that's what it's called. So, so when Matthew writes that Jesus and his disciples came to Caesarea Philippi, Anyone familiar with that place will know that ah, oh, we are going to where Satan is. Literally, you know that's what you say. You know, there's some areas in in some cities that you like. For example, I I don't know. I've not been there before, but I used to hear that if if you go to uh, is it um, California or Las Vegas, United States, right? Is uh, they call I think they call it this Sin City. That's what that is where Caesarea is. So imagine if Jesus was a United States citizen. If you want to preach what he wants to preach, you say, come, let us fly to Las Vegas. If there was somebody among them that is not born again, they may think that they want to go and have fun or play gamble, but all of them are just... <laughs> so that's exactly what Jesus did. So, <clears throat> so when he says, so when Jesus, please, can you show that place again? Can you show the... So, so now, you, I want you to observe that this temple is upon a rock, a hill. That's where it is built. So, Jesus and his disciples, were, they were literally, literally upon that place. So, he now says, upon 
this what? Rock. This place of sin and hell. I will build my church. Do you understand? What does that mean? Do you get what I just said? So, so Jesus is saying, I will build my church from hell. Yes. I will build my church from hell. I will show you. Jesus is teaching from Genesis to Malachi. He's there. Write it. Don't say, ah, hell. Yes, he said. Now, in verse 18, in verse 18, he says, and the gates, still leave this screen, please. And the gate of hell will not prevail against it. The word prevail is the word to resist. To resist. So he says, that's the right word. So he says, the gate of hell wouldn't resist that place. Wouldn't resist that place. So, in, in Caesarea Philippi, the two major gods that is being worshipped is that pan god and Caesar, Augustus Caesar, who, is, who was called the son of God. So, yes, Dominus Philos, exactly. So, so, there is a first god, right, in that place where Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, a first god there. So, in other words, when Jesus now says that I will build my church in this place and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. That, that statement, is it a statement of war? Is a challenge, is confronting the forces of darkness, the forces of evil there. So Jesus wants to say that the ministry of the spirit or the ministry of the gospel, right, where it will begin from is that it will begin from the camp of the enemy, from the camp of darkness. Are you following that? Now, how, listen, let, 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 let us go to the end and come back. How does Jesus win that victory? He's raised from the dead, from hell. He's raised from there, right? Now, let, let, me, let me give you an idea. Is it only Jesus that is raised from hell or raised from the dead? No. That means from the dead, other men come. Are you following? So that is why he says the gate of hell, the forces of darkness will not withstand it, will not be able to stop it. Do you see why he's saying that I will build my church from hell? Saints will come out from that place. Are you following? Huh? Yes, that's scripture. He led captivities captive. Right? So, he will bring them out. Are you following? So, Jesus is deliberate on why he goes there. Now. So, now, in other words, this statement by Jesus, this statement by Jesus, it actually has a, there's a, Jesus, Jesus is teaching largely from how the ministry of the Spirit works from Genesis. From how the ministry of the Spirit works from Genesis. Remember I told you yesterday that the gospel the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the text of the Old Testament is found in their stories. Can you remember? In their stories. I, I gave you an example of 
um, Rahab, right? It's found in their stories. Now, since that's the case, let us see Genesis 1. Go there now. Let me show you exactly what Jesus is typifying in this place, in Genesis 1. So, we have, before, before we read Genesis 1, we have Noah, right? Who is a Christ, remember? And he goes to preach, right? In the place where corruption and wickedness is in. Noah is a preacher. Read First Peter First Peter, Second Peter, chapter three. You see there, Noah is a preacher of righteousness. So he goes to where evil and corruption is prevailing, right? And he begins to proclaim the gospel right there, right? Noah is also called the rest place of God, isn't it? In other words, he, through him, right, comfort will come against wickedness. Remember, we said all this. Okay, so we have Noah, we have Abel. Then Jesus Christ comes and he begins to do the same thing and saying that upon this rock, right, I will build my church. So the rock in Caesarea is a representation, right, of the deliverance that will come out from the dead. I will say it again. The rock in Caesarea, that place that he was in, you know, I'm sure you have heard that the people have said the rock is Christ. The rock, no, it's not Peter. It's not none of those things, right? They were literally standing in a place. And he's saying that upon ye, my church will be established. In other words, he's teaching his resurrection. Are you following? Huh? Do you understand? I've not said anything great. I just used the location to explain. Is he disturbing you people? Huh? Amen. So, I said Genesis 1. How many of you checked um, the motif of the resurrection yesterday? Did you go back to look at it? Oh. And I just gave you the scripture because I didn't want to cheat it. You can't remember the motif, the motif of the third day in the Bible. You know, you can't remember. Did you check it? Huh? Amen. I'm not reading it for you. <laughs> she check it. She studied anyway. All right, let's go. Let's go. So now Genesis chapter one. Now in Genesis one, we'll be here a lot in Genesis one. Anyway, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, first and foremost, this book, or this chapter, like we'll call it, is not talking about creation. Right? We have said so many times in this meeting that the entire Old Testament its focus is on salvation through faith in Christ. Genesis chapter 1 will not be an exception. Right? Genesis chapter 1 will not be an exception. So in other words, Moses is penning down something, right, that is related to salvation. Or better still, that is related to redemption. Amen? 
So let us look at that. And I will now show you why we are referring it in relation to Jesus' statement in Matthew 16. Right? Are you there? Okay. So now let's see it. Let's see it. Now, what will help us see that this statement has everything to do with redemption, right, or salvation, is to look at a motif in scripture. And that motif is the motif of the Sabbath. Please pay attention now. I know I have taught this before here to some certain people here, a verse by verse explanation of this text. But I want to extend that explanation before we do verse by verse. Because I want you to see categorically that Genesis chapter 1 is not talking about, uh, is not talking about creation at all. Now, who are the audience of Moses? Who are the audience of Moses? Israelite. The people that came out from Egypt. That is, that is the primary audience of Moses, right? So let us look at the motif of the Sabbath that helps us see what Moses is doing here. So if you are writing, just do a subheading and say the motif of the Sabbath. The motif of the Sabbath. Remember, just for you to go back and to study, please, I really beg of you to go back and study the motif of the resurrection, the motif of the third day, right? Just check it out, right? Because there's no place in Genesis to Malachi, right, that that said that Jesus will be raised on the third day. There's no place. There's no word like that. But there is a motif, a pattern. What's a motif? A pattern in scripture that something happens on the third day. And I told you that what you are going to find is that you are going to see an appearance. Somebody appears. Somebody comes. I even gave you an example to quickly go and check. Esther. Right? Remember, how many days did Esther fast? Huh? Three days. Now, what was she going to do on the third day? She will appear before. That's a motive. Now, you may say, oh, it's just a coincidence. If you read other scriptures, you will see that there are other instances that on the third day, something happens. Right? So, it will be wrong. It will be, uh, what's the word now? If you look at it, you will see that that is why Jesus Christ will be raised from the third day. There will be an appearance. Please check it out, okay? I didn't do that yesterday because there was no time. But check it out. Is it, is it clear? Please do. So you see it. So let's see the motif of the Sabbath. Now, so we'll come back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. We'll come back there. Let's go to Luke 23. And write this down for, this, for, for the purpose of interpretation. In looking at the synoptic, the synoptics, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptics are not mere history, right? The synoptics are not mere history. They are written with the mind of theology. They are written with the mind of theology. Now, in Bible reading, in Bible reading, when you see a word repeated, it's good to pay attention. It's what we call in Bible interpretation, in Bible study, the law of emphasis. The law of emphasis. So go to Luke 23. 
Luke chapter 23, verse, let's read verse 53. Verse 53. He says, and he took it down, 52. He says, this man went on to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. At that day was the preparation and what? And the Sabbath drew on. And the Sabbath drew on. So it says, and the woman also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after, and behold, the sepulchre and his body was laid. 56. And they returned and prepared spices and ointment and rested, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. So, now, Sabbath is a theme of the Bible, right? It's a motif in the Bible. I, I'm sure you know that the word Sabbath really appears a lot of time if you read Genesis to Malachi. So we have to understand what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a theme in the Bible. Okay. Now, notice in verse 56, it says, and rested the Sabbath day. Now go to Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Something about the Sabbath day is in verse 1 of Luke 24. Verse 1 of Luke 24. It says, Now upon the first day of the week. Now upon the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and, other, and certain others with them. Okay, quickly go to John 20. Let's see. So the first day of the week, the first day, John 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 1. So you see a repetition there again. The first day of the week, Comet Mary Madeline. First day of the week. First day of the week. The first day of the week is very associated with the Sabbath. It's very associated with the Sabbath. Okay. Now, let's go to, I'm going to show you now. I'm going to show you what I just said. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. Are you there? Are you there? Ah, are you there? And please now, I beg. In the end of the Sabbath, you see? In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of... Are you seeing that? So you see the Sabbath is very closely related to the first day of the week. Amen? Amen? Okay, so that's important. Now, Mark 16. Let's continue. Now, Mark 16, verse 2. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week. Now, write this down for the purpose of your commentary in Bible study. Just for you to understand what is going on. These statements are echoes of Genesis. They are echoes of Genesis. They are coming from Genesis. They are coming from Genesis. So, 
the Sabbath is a motif related to what Jesus was about to accomplish. Don't worry, I will show you. You will see it. The Sabbath is a motif related to what Jesus was about to accomplish. Mark chapter 2. We're looking at it from the synoptic. Mark 2. Mark 2, 27. Mark 2, 27, please. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus, he says, and he said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man, right? Not man for the Sabbath. 28. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, you know, if Jesus says he's Lord over the Sabbath, right? Your mind should not, you know, your, your mind should not think that Jesus is therefore talking about a particular day, right? Right? Your mind should not say he's talking about a particular day. So that's a critical motif in scripture. So we have to find out. It's like, it's, like, it's like when Jesus uses the word temple, right? When Jesus uses the word temple, you know, your mind should not go to, he's talking about a physical building, right? Right? Because, because if you read the four gospels, if you read the four gospels very detailed, temple is mentioned about just, in, I think, in across. More than 15 times. So it's very significant. Remember the law of emphasis. And every time it is used, it is used to describe where God is dwelling. Where God is dwelling. So, in other words, Jesus will use temple, right, to explain his work, his mission, what he will do. A perfect example is John 2. Just read John 2. You see there. John 2 from 13 to 22. You see there. So that temple becomes a motif. Passover also is a motif. It's a motif. I said, how do you know? Do you, did Jesus use meals? Meals. Meals. To describe his work? Huh? Many times. He used meals. John 6. Matthew 12, many times. Matthew 20, no, Luke 26. Ah, sorry. Luke 22. It's not 26 in Luke. Luke 22. Many times using means to describe his work. But we're focusing on the Sabbath. So we see in Mark 2, 27, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's go to two texts now. Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Remember where we are coming from. Jesus builds his work from where? From where? Hell. Okay. So, Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. He says, remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, six days thou shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Is the audience in Exodus the same as the audience in Genesis? Is it the same audience? Same people, same people, same. The people that came out from Egypt, they are the same. So let's go on. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. 
in it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy men servant, nor thy maid servant, nor the cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that, that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So, what do we read here? We see that what did Moses attach the importance of the Sabbath to? Eh? No. Yes, it's rest. The Sabbath is rest. But what is he, where is he drawing it from? Read that text. We're not reading. Where is he drawing it from? Eh? Genesis, right? Genesis, when God rested. Abby? Uh-huh. So, that's the point there. So, very important. So, write this down. The Sabbath is, this, in Exodus here, the Sabbath is called, is in the seventh day of the week for the nation of Israel. The seventh day of the week for the nation of Israel. That's what the Sabbath is. Now, you will observe that the Sabbath, or what is called the Sabbath, was not given a particular day in Genesis. Amen? There is no day of it in Genesis. No day. So, it wasn't a special day in Genesis. There is no reference. There is no reference to a seven day or a Sabbath day in Genesis, apart from one place. Genesis chapter 2. And you are going to see why it is like that. But apart from that place, there's no other place. In fact, okay, let's, let's make it better. None of the patriarchs, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? None of them talked about a, a particular day for us. None of them. Huh? None of them. So, so it means that, listen now, it means that the concept of the seventh day, right, came about from when God brought the children of Israelites out of Egypt, right? Out of Egypt. So, the seventh day is borrowed from that experience from Egypt. Should I say that again? Okay. The concept of the seventh day, right, is, I mean, change it differently. The concept of the seventh day is borrowed from Egypt. From Egypt. I want you to, I want you to know some, note something. Very, this is very important, and you can make, do a further study on it. What is called the Passover, right? If you read it in Exodus, you will see that Moses calls it the Lord's Passover. Why did he call it the Lord's Passover? Now, before you, we get out of us and say, okay, the Passover is related to, the, to Jesus. Actually, there was a Passover in Egypt's, Israel, Egypt's history that the people of Israel, when they were in bondage, knew about. So when they came out of Egypt, Moses 
because of the kind of culture and system they, they had then, Moses now instituted a Passover that, he, that is related to the Lord. Are you following? So he defines it and said, this is the Lord Passover, different from what you were doing in Egypt. Are you following? Huh? Okay. Now, if that's the case then, if that's the case, remember, you say, how do we know? Is there Passover, was there Passover in Genesis? There was no Passover in none of those guys practiced it. Did Abraham pass it Passover? No. So it's something that was instituted when they came out of Egypt. It's an adaptation from Egypt. Are you following? Okay. So. Now. Look at Exodus 20. Please stay with me. Everything is going to, all the pieces are going to be fixed together soon. So just stay with me. Exodus 20. We were there before. Exodus 20. So he says, And God spoke all this word, saying, I'm the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Out, out of the house of bondage. What is the house of bondage? Egypt. So, in other words, and this is about, this is the Ten Commandments, right? When you read the Ten Commandments. That means, the Ten Commandments is for deliverance. It was given for the purpose of deliverance, for redemption. Salvation. Salvation. Now in verse 5 he says, in verse 5 he says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am, for I the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that ate me. Just write this down. You can study it later. When you, when you see third and fourth generation, right? Third and fourth generation doesn't mean my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, no. Biblically, third and fourth generation means that you will not be alive when you die. That's what it means. A reference, you can check it later, is Genesis chapter 15. Read it from verse 15 to 16. You'll see it there. So third and fourth generation is a phrase to say when you will die or when you all die. That's what it means. Again, I'll quote the reference, Genesis 15, verse 15 to 16. So, in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, we just read that one now. Verse 8 to 11, does it take you back to Genesis 2? Go back here. Go back there. Let's see it. Please, you need to pay attention to this. When you Exodus 20, when you read Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, does it take you back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, right? Let's now see Genesis 2, 1 and 3. So Genesis 2 says what? It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So that means these guys in Exodus and, and the guys in Genesis, they are the same. Same audience. Okay. So, so in verse 8 of that Exodus, it says, Remember the Sabbath day. It tells us God rested the Sabbath day. God rested on the Sabbath day. Now, now go to Deuteronomy 5. Now, 
the word Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means second law. That's, that's what it means, second law. Now, why is, why is it say, why do you say second law? Because the people that came out of Egypt, right? The people that came out of Egypt, that generation had died in the wilderness. So this was a new generation. So Moses now writes that same law. He now repeats the law, right? Again to this new generation, right? So they will know it. Are you following? The only people that remained, the only people that remained from the generation that came out from Egypt was Joshua and Caleb, right? Those other generations died in the wilderness because of unbelief. I'm sure you know that. So, Deuteronomy means that I will write a second law. Do you understand? So, in Deuteronomy 5, Moses does something. Yeah. Moses does. does. See, please put your hand in Exodus 20. And go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. So, Moses gives... Please, write, write this one down. Moses gives the Ten Commandments for the purpose of the fact that they've been delivered from Egypt. Remember... Verse 1 of that Exodus 20. You see it there. Right? For the purpose that they've been delivered, they've been saved. So Moses gives give them the Ten Commandments. It's very important. So the Ten Commandments is for redemption, for deliverance. Right? Okay. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 1. And Moses, and Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgment which I speak in your ear this day, that you may learn. Please, one minute, please. Okay. He says, that you may learn and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Oreb. The Lord... The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us who are all of us here alive. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount, out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mountain. Say, this, where, where, where are reading? Where is it? Is in Exodus, Exodus 19, right? Okay. So that's Exodus. So notice that he says that God wanted to come up, right? Telling Moses, look, look at it, verse 6. He says, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Now, so he calls Egypt the house of bondage. Now, look at verse 12 now. Now, look at verse 12. Keep what? The Sabbath day to what? Sanctify it. It says, as the Lord thy God had commanded thee, six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it, thou shalt not do any work. Thou not thy nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy maid servant, nor thy maid servant, nor thy ox, nor thy ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gate. 
that thy main servant and thy main servant may rest as, as well as thou. Now pay attention to verse 15. It says, and remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a straight out arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath. Is Deuteronomy 20 verse 10, sorry, is Exodus 20 verse 10 and Deuteronomy 5 verse 14 saying the same thing? I'm 215. Are they saying the same thing? So, but in Exodus 20, I'm about to say something that's how I started. Exodus 20.10, please, can we show Exodus 20.10? Because I want you to see it. Exodus 20.10. So, now, um, move on, verse 11. So, he says, and for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all the demon, and rested the seventh day, where the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Now, we said that this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. So, that means that this experience is talking about creation. Right? It's talking about creation. Now, when we read Deuteronomy, right? Now, go back to Deuteronomy now. So, have it at the back of your mind that this is talking about creation. Right? God rested. Right? Now, go back to Deuteronomy 5, verse 14. Particularly verse 15. So it says, And remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt. And, uh, and he's talking about the Sabbath. If you read it, he was talking about the Sabbath in the first day. He said, and remember that thou was a servant in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord thy God brought thee out there and stray mighty hand. And by stretch out arm, Therefore, the Lord God commanded thee to keep the... So, why did he tell them to keep the Sabbath here now? Because of redemption, right? Because they were saved. So, that means... Now, write this down. That means that redemption is creation. Redemption is creation. Even Exodus 20, verse 11 to 12, is talking about how God created... And he's referring to the Sabbath. Right? He's referring to the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, he talks about the Sabbath and he talks about their deliverance. It cannot be two different things. It's the same thing. He's saying that in redemption, there was a creation. He's saying in the deliverance, there was a creation, a kind was produced. Let me, let, me, let me slow down so you get it. Exodus 20. Listen carefully. Exodus 20. He tells them to re remember the Sabbath because God rested after he had created it, right? That's what we saw in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Is that... Do you agree with that, right? Okay. So, he goes to Deuteronomy. A new people has come. He goes to Deuteronomy. He's teaching the same thing about the Sabbath. He's teaching the same thing about the Sabbath. And he now says that I want you to remember the Sabbath because that was when, remember it because God delivered you from the house of bondage. So, that means 
Moses equates the Sabbath to redemption and Moses equates the Sabbath to creation, right? So that means creation is equal to redemption. Do you understand? So that means that would Genesis 1 be talking about the creation of the world or creation in redemption? Why? Why is it creation in redemption? So that it doesn't look as if you are saying what I think I want you to say. It is creation in redemption because the day that he tells them to remember is tying it to when God redeemed them, right? And when God rested. So God can only rest when he has redeemed man. Do you understand? So, that means Moses equates, Moses equates the creation of heaven and earth to the exodus, God's deliverance. Huh? The creation of heaven and earth. Now, I know I've taught it before here. Yeah. Or maybe to some people. When we say, I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach because some people don't know. I'm going to show you now. When we say heaven and earth, right? What are we talking about? Heaven and earth, right? In biblical language, does not necessarily mean a location in heaven, right? And earth, yeah. Like the, um, when you look at the nine planets, you say, oh, that is earth. No. Heaven and earth speaks of the dwelling of God, that is what God is, where God is, right? That is, what I'm saying is that heaven speaks of God, right? Earth speaks of man. Are you seeing that? Huh? Heaven speaks of God, earth speaks of man. For example, when he talks about being born again, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born, now that word again means to be born from above, Right? Does it, does it mean that you should, you should be born from heaven? No. He's talking about God. Are you following? So, so if you have that idea, that's, I just use, by, if you have that idea, bring that idea now. So when Moses says, God created the heavens and the earth, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And he's saying that that creation of heaven and the earth is deliverance. Is redemption. Jonathan is equating the creation of heaven and earth to God's deliverance, delivering man from where? From the house of bondage. Now, so let me let me help your mind again. If God is delivering man from the house of bondage, right? And he's saying that that is his creation, right? Would he mean that that means that that man has become God's dwelling? Eh? Eh? Mm-mm. No, yeah, yeah, what I'm saying. When God is delivering man, right? When man is delivered, right? Does that, once man has been delivered, has that man become the dwelling of God? Yes. You have not understood what I'm saying. Okay. So, I take, Pastor, please, can I use you as an example? Pastor is, Daniel, come, come out. Daniel is Egypt, 
So, Pastor, stay, stay with Danny. Danny, hold him as, as though he's in bondage. That's not bondage now. He said, Pastor, careful. <laughs> so, Dan, Pastor is Israel, right? This is Egypt, right? Now, so Moses is looking at the creation, right? He wants to teach these people. And he says that creation is deliverance, right? So if, and I'm God, of course, I have to take that role. I'm the preacher. So if I deliver him out of Egypt, he becomes, I come and stay, he comes to stay with me. <laughs> Pastor, I'm, I'm <laughs> so he comes to stay with me, right? That staying with me, does he, is he are, we, are we dwelling together now? So that means the deliverance is that man is now indwelt by God or God is indwelling him. Do you understand? I will show you. So heaven and earth, thank you, sir. Heaven and earth is the union of God and man by a deliverance. Do you understand? Heaven and earth is the union of God and man through redemption by a deliverance. Amen? Is it clear now? Eh? You're not answering. Okay. All right. So. So. That means that Moses explains the Exodus as a creation. Moses explained the Exodus as a creation. That is, God is doing something new. He's doing something new. Write this down. What, what we just read. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20, verse 12 to 15, has a redemption fact. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 to 15, has a redemption fact. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, has a creation fact. Which means, which means, the reason for Genesis 1 and 2 is the Exodus. The reason for Genesis 1 and 2 is the Exodus. And the reason for the Exodus is God's new creation. I'll say it again. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 to 15 has a redemption fact. That's Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, has creation facts. Which means, the reason for Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the Exodus. And the reason for the Exodus is God's new creation. That means, in case you don't get that, that means, for God's new creation to be made, there will need to be an exodus, a deliverance. There will need to be redemption. Hence, hence, the exodus established God's new creation. You should be writing. 
Because this is the commentary of Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20 that we just saw. I'll say it again. For God's new creation to be made, there need to be an exodus. Which means, the exodus establishes God's new creation. So, what does that, what's the implication of the Sabbath? That means in the Sabbath, we see redemption and creation. In the Sabbath, we see redemption and creation. Are you there? We see redemption and creation. So, is it clear, please? Is it clear? Is it clear? So, do you see why, which I'm going to show you again now, do you see why Genesis 1 and 2 cannot really be talking about the creation of the world? That communication that Moses is having is having a communication of redemption. He's having a communication of redemption. I'll show you now again. Maybe it will, it will be clear. So, what is the theme of the Sabbath? Redemption. What is the theme of the Sabbath? God's new creation. That is what the Sabbath is. And that theme is very critical. So can we say redemption and creation are the same? Huh? Good, thank you. Okay. Okay. So God's creation and redemption are referring to the same thing. Are referring to the same thing. Remember, is Moses Aristotle? You know now, Aristotle is one of the fathers of science, Abby. Philosopher, okay. Who is father of science? One of the uh, Socrates. You can use it, Abby. Newton. Eh? Eh? Maybe, you see. Charles, Charles Darwin Charles walks. You understand? And all those guys. Now, my point is, if most, yes, Moses went to one of the best schools of, of his time, right? Because he was very educated. He, went to, he was a brilliant man, no doubt. He went to the Harvard of his time. He needed him. You understand? Because, you know, they used to say Egypt is the, is the center of civilization? Something like that. So he was there. So, of course, he was well educated. But, however, when he begins to pen down this document, he's penning it, he's penning down the revelation of Christ or the revelation of God. He will not be talking about how life started. How does that consign God saving you? Amen? I will show you. Don't worry. You see it now, 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 now. So Moses could not have been writing about science. In fact, I believe that this era is a pre-science era. I don't even think by this time, science have really been discovered. 
I don't ah, know what you're talking about. It's like 50,000. I don't know, Shao. Maybe Shano is far. It's a long time ago. Amen? You know, people used to say, I don't have time. You know, some, there are some people that believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. The earth is not 6,000. Ah. And do you know how they calculated it? They use a begat, begat, begat in the Bible. Because if you calculate all the begat in the Bible, right, up to the point of Jesus or now, it's around 6,000. So they say the earth is. You just, you just make a mess of yourself when you're talking to real scientists. I know you, are, you know, that's one of the reasons why some people say the Bible is not true. You understand? Don't argue the Bible and say that uh, the beginning of the world. Don't argue that with them. Huh? Oh, sorry. Don't, don't argue all those things with them. That's irrelevant. Do you understand? What the Bible is talking about is salvation. Right? Stick to that story. Amen? Don't say, eh, eh, we can see that, you know, don't waste it. Like, for example, people go about and say, we are created in the image of God. Who told you? So, I'm, like me now, I'm black. Pastor is darker than me. Eh? Liz is fair. So, we look at God. So, God is multicolored. So, is God, we're not, the, It's not everybody that is created in the image of God, though. The image of God is the new creation. Amen? Amen? He said we are all God's children. Who told you? God knows who the one that he born, though. Not everybody is God's children, though. Amen? Praise God. Let's just, let me just go back here quickly. So, so, redemption is God's creation, yes? Okay. So, So, the Sabbath is for redemption. The Sabbath is for redemption. The Sabbath is for redemption. The Sabbath is for creation. They are one and the same. Now, Genesis 1. Let's do verse by verse. So, so when Moses begins to write about Genesis 1.1, his primary audience will be those people that came out from Egypt, right? They've experienced the exodus. They've experienced God's deliverance, God's redemption. They've done, they've experienced it. So that means that if that is in the mind of his audience, they will not be thinking that Moses is about to tell them about how the world started, the creation of the world. No! What will be in their mind is the creation, I'm sorry, is the redemption and deliverance, right? That's what will be in their mind. That's what will be in their mind. So, so we must hear and listen to what Moses, we must hear and listen to what the audience heard Moses actually say. And not our own ideas. Right? That's what we are trying to do. For example, I'm coming. We'll go there. I know I've been postponing this a lot. We'll go there. We talked about, some, um, some people want to talk about eternal life. Right? Eternal life. Oh, what is eternal life? Eternal life is the life of God. It's the life of God in you. The life of God implanted in your human spirit. It's true. That is eternal life. But the Jews 
do not, do not define eternal life like that. Jesus does not define it. When you, when you, because Jesus is the one that talks about eternal life. Abby? So, when Jesus is talking about eternal life, to the mind of his audience, eternal life means the reign, the time and reign of the Savior. That is why eternal life, the other name for eternal life is called power of the age to come. A, a reign, the power of a reign that is coming. But that power of that reign that is coming, where is it resident? In man. Are you seeing it? So eternal life is not just the life of God in the human being. No, it is the reign of the, of the Savior in man. Do you understand? That is, that's what the Jews, every time you see Genesis to Malachi and they talk about life eternal or something that is coming, they are talking about the reign of the Messiah. Eternal life is the reign of the Messiah. Where? On the earth. That is the definition of eternal life. So if, if eternal life is defined like that to you, listen, if eternal life is defined like that to you, does it require responsibility? Because the rain must be seen, right? The rain must be known. The rain must be heard. Jonathan, we must see that Christ is reigning now. Do you understand? You can write it down if you want to write it. Eternal life is called the age of the Messiah. Or the reign of the Christ. The reign of the Christ. That's why the reign of the Christ. That's why he is referred to as Jesus calls himself, I am the life. It is his reign on the earth. So, it, when we say, listen, I know people have used this to bamboozle some people. When you say the power of the age to come, it is not to, the, that power Right? It's not futuristic. That power is not futuristic. The power is now. Now. It happened when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It was released into man's spirit. By faith. Are you following? So. So when you say, I have eternal life, we're not talking about personal possessions. It is what God is doing in the earth, his reign. So eternal life, or the spirit of God, that's what it can be called, is the working of his spirit in man or true man. The working of his spirit in man or true man. The working of his spirit in man or true man. I want to show you a text. I want to show you a text. Quickly, please help me. Oh, nobody's there. Numbers 14. Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. Just to show you what eternal life really is. The reign of the Savior. Numbers 14. Verse 21. Look at it. Numbers 14, 21. It says, but as truly as I live, what? All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. All the earth. All the earth. When he says, as I live, 
That's referring to his eternal reign. His eternal reign. That is eternal life. This is eternal life here. Do you know Habakkuk talks about this? Habakkuk says, as waters covers the sea, so will my knowledge cover. He's talking about his reign. So that means that the believer is a participant, a possessor of eternal life. And he's not talking about, oh, I have it. No, 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 no. What he's referring to is what God is doing in you on the earth forever. I'll say that again. When we say we have eternal life, we are participants, possessors of that life. And what that means is that it is what God is doing in you, what God is doing in you right now. On the earth, and it is forever. It's forever. It's forever. So in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, when he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning, the word beginning is the word Bereshit. I'll spell it for you. B A R A R E S H I Y T H B A R A R E S H I Y T H Barashit or some other Greek um, uh, concordance call it Reshit. That's R E S R E S. H-I-Y-T-H. So it's either Bereshit or Reshit. And it's the word, that's the word beginning. Beginning. And that word beginning, every time it is used in the biblical text, is used for first fruits. First fruits. Or new beginning. I'll tell you the variations of it. It's used for first fruit, new beginning, or the head of something. The head. The head or chief of something. The head or chiefs of, of something. Because of time, I will just quote some scriptures for you to check it out. That word barashit or reshit is used, can be used for a person. A person is used as a person in Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, and Genesis 49, verse 3. Just check it out. You see, it's used for a person. When you read it within the context, you see that it's referring to a person. Genesis 10, 10, and Genesis 49, verse 3. Now, when it is used as a chief, the chief, you know, when, when you say something is a chief, the chief of something, that is the uh, what's the what can I use? Like the uh, head. Thank you, sir. The head of something. That's what chief means. So when it's used as chief, it's used in First Samuel fifteen twenty one. I'm giving you all the scripture so you can go back and read and you see it there. First Samuel chapter fifteen verse twenty one, and Job forty verse nineteen. In Job forty verse nineteen, it is used as chief, but it's referring to a person. You see? 
It's used as chief, but it's referring to a person. Look at it there. The chief of the things. Are you saying that? The chief of the things. Huh? That's, that's the word Rashid there. So Job 14, 19. And now in Psalm 78, verse 51. Psalm 78, verse 51 is always referred to as a person. As a person. As a person. Psalm 78, verse 51. Look at that. Look at Job. He is the chief of the ways of God. So you see that there is, if you read in context, it's talking about a person there. Please, I've not said the person is Christ yet in all these places. But I'm saying the use of the word is used as a person, for a person. Now, when it is also used for first fruits, first fruit, this is even used particularly also in the New Testament. First fruit. First fruit, used as first fruit, Leviticus 2.12. Leviticus 23, verse 10. Numbers 18, verse 12. Ezekiel 20, verse 40. I'll say it again. Leviticus 2, 12. Leviticus 23, verse 10. Numbers 18, verse 12. And Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 40. Now, Reshit, please stay with me. And please, I, I, I ensure that if you are here, be taking down notes and be writing. Don't, don't be a participator in the working of the spirit, okay? I've seen some of you are just sitting down. Because even taking down notes, I don't have time to show you. But taking down notes is very, very spiritual. It's in the Bible. Yes, I'm serious. People took down notes in scriptures. So don't just, don't just, it's part of, it's part of, when we say, let us move in the spirit, you are also a participant. You're not just looking around. It's the same thing here. Because what is working in me right now is the ministry of God's spirit. Do you know? I, it's not like, if you ask me, I don't really feel like teaching. I, would, I, would, I rather want to relax with coke. But the pastors have banned me. They've banned me. I, I think I'm a bit obedient to that. Amen? So, participate, okay? Amen? Are you having a great time? Ah, that's it. I know you people like the word. So I love the word. Yes. So, now, reshit has a root word in the Greek. Reshit has a root word in the Greek. The root word of reshit in the Greek is the word rosh. R-O-S-H. Rosh. Rosh, and that's R-O-S-H. Rosh means head. You can check it out. You know, a, a pastor, and the pastor has I've, I've, I've said it many times that, you know, there are a lot of Bible apps that have all these Greek things. You can just, you know, that's part of studying, you know. That's part of studying. You know, one of the ways, one of the, it helps you in studying. You use those Greek words, you read in context, you know. Although it helps in your interpretation, right? So, you should get them. So, Rashid is from the word Rosh, R-O-S-H, which means head. The head of something. The head of something. It is particularly used for the chief man of a company. The chief, like the leader of a company. 
or a group. Do you get that? Like, for example, when you look at all any CF pastors, the chief of that company of pastors is who? Pastor Fred, right? Huh? Good. So, that is what rush means. Now, but Bareshit and Rashid. So, take, I want you to take the meanings that we have looked at, we have seen so far. I want you to observe that in the meanings of, that, of those words, he's saying that, is it that Ed, right? First fruit, right? A, a leader, right? Meaning that there will be other things following it, right? Because, for example, when you say first fruit, it will mean that there are other fruits. You know when you say something is the head, it means there are other sub-heads. Do you get it now? When you say something is the chief, it means there are followers. Do you understand? Every time that word is used, that's what you are saying. Amen? Okay. Now, so that means that now, Bareshit now has a further meaning of, the, of those same explanations that we just gave. It is used for a fresh start. When you want to do something afresh, a fresh start. To restart something. To restart something. So you can say, Bareshit refers to a new beginning. A new beginning. A new beginning. So if we go back to Genesis 1, verse 1. If we go back to Genesis 1, verse 1, we can read it like this. In the new beginning. Right? We can read it as in the first fruit, right? We can read it as in the head, right? We can read it as in the chief, right? We can read it as in the fresh start. Are you seeing that? In the fresh start, in the new beginning, in the first fruit. Does it make sense when you read it like that? Huh? Does it make sense when you read like that? So he's saying that in the fresh start, in the new beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. What did we call heaven and earth together? So that means in a, in a, there was a, in a fresh start, there was a union between God and man. Are you following? Huh? Okay. So, if that is the case. So, now, verse 1, verse 2, now tells you. Verse 2 now tells you why God wants to create a new beginning. Right? Verse 2 tells you why God wants to create a fresh start. Verse 2 tells you why there will be a creation in the head, in the chief. Look at what verse 2 says. It says, and the earth was what? Without form and void. What is the earth again? Man. Man. So, verse 2 is saying, say glory. didn't catch you. Say don't clap. Don't clap. Say glory. Hey, it's no need. I'm not giving speech. It's speech that when someone says, Whoa, it's not motivating. You class glory. See, I've entered your body like that. Yeah. Amen? Amen. So he says, and the earth was without what? Form and void. 
Now, remember, eight is what? I will show you. You see it in the Bible. You see. I just, I'm just giving you first explanation because of time. And the air was without form and void. Form and void in the Greek is tohu bohu. Tohu bohu means chaos. Tohu bohu means disorderliness. Are you following? Amen? So, write this down. Let's just give some definitions here. Et, that word et, is used for both the material world and also people. Particularly people. Particularly people. So, et, show me, show me et. Et, Show me one and two. Et is... Et is, so when he says tohubohu, and we're referring to man, right? And we're referring to man, he's saying that man is in chaos, right? Man is in disorder, right? Verse 2, verse 2, verse 2. Man is in disorder. Man is in chaos. I, can you see that? Huh? Okay. Now, let us see. So, so verse 3, let's quickly, no, 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 stay, stay, stay. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know, you can quickly say that, you can see, okay, there, there was waters in, uh, in heaven or in where, where God was. Why, why would you say that? Is, is the is Spirit of God trying to swim? So he's just swimming. Broom, broom, broom. Is he beach? <laughs> is, that is, that, is he trying to swim? So when he says, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Waters in Bible language refers to nations of people. Refers to nations of people. You see, scripture and verse, Genesis chapter 2. Go there. Shop, 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 shop. Who is the one? There's no time. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 10. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. He says, And a river went out of what? To water the garden. And from this it was parted and became into what? Four heads. That means the water came into four heads. So what are the four heads? Verse 11. And the name of the first is what? Pison. That is... That is which compassed the whole land of what? A villa where there is gold. Next, next, next. And the gold of that land is gold. And there is bedlam and oil stones. And the name of the second river is what? Gion. And that the same is it that compassed the whole land of. So rivers or waters is talking about nations. What divided nations? Are you seeing that? Do you see it? Okay, in case you did not see, let us look at Habakkuk's prophecy. Let's look at Habakkuk's prophecy quickly. Uh, where is that Habakkuk's prophecy? I think Habakkuk 2. Is it Habakkuk 2? Eh? Habakkuk 2. I, didn't ha- I don't have it in my notes. So. Yes, what has... Yes. Mm. 2.14. Okay, Habakkuk 2 verse 14. So it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So he calls water earth, right? 
So, so that means earth there will be men, nations, people, right? So that means biblically, water is related to men and people. Are you with me? Okay, back to Genesis. Are you doing in front of this? No, I think I will keep coming back. Sorry. <laughs> so, so back to, so in no two, 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 two. We are coming. Yes. So he says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That is, he moved in the nations. Why is the spirit of God moving in the nation? Because man is in darkness, right? A man is in chaos, right? Okay, let us examine Tohubu more. Let's go further into Tohubu. Quickly look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Who is there? Deuteronomy 32. Okay, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. It says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the Lord of his inheritance. Verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the waste, holing, holing in the wilderness. And he led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as his apple of his eyes. What I want to show you here is the word waste in verse 10. Waste is the same word. Waste is the same word as the earth was without form and void. Waste. Waste. It, it described it as wilderness. 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 Now, so, so that means that, again, M- Moses is describing. Now, remember in verse 1, he's saying that in the first fruit, God created heavens and the earth. The union of God and man. So Moses is saying that the reason why God wants this to happen is because this is the condition of this man. This man is in darkness. This man is in chaos. But God intends for the entire man, human race, to be one with him. That's God's intention. To be one with him, that man will become his temple. Are you following? Okay. So, if that's the case then. So, in verse 3 of Genesis 1, he says, The Spirit of God moved. Moved. Let's look at that word moved. Let's see it. The word moved in verse. Go to, go to uh, that Deuteronomy again. Verse 11. Deuteronomy, no, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. Verse 11. He says, as an eagle, watch this. As an eagle stirred up a nest and flustered over a young. Spread it abroad our wings, take them and bury them in a wing. The word, the word flutter it, the word flutter it means to, to move upon, to brood, to brood. It's in, also, it's in Genesis 1 2, it means to brood, to move upon. Notice that in this place, in this place, Moses is equating. Or no, rather, Moses is describing the movement of the eagle, like how the Lord will move. Like how the Lord will move. Look at verse 12, please. Verse 12. So the Lord alone did lead them 
and there was no strange God with them. So Moses describes the movement of the eagle as the Lord. So it means that Moses is saying that the way the Spirit of God works, the way the Spirit of God works is how an eagle works, right? That's what he's trying to do there. So verse 12 connotes the leading and the influence of the Lord upon his people. The influence and the leading of the Lord upon his people. The leading of the Lord upon his people. This is how I wrote it here in my notes. And I think you should write it like that. Genesis 1 and 2 is the same as Genesis, as the same as Deuteronomy 32 verse 12. The action of the Spirit of God. The action of the Spirit of God. That is, the action of the Spirit of God in Genesis 1 and 2 is the same action here in Deuteronomy 32 verse 12. The same action. The same action. Verse 3 of Genesis 1. He says, and God said, let there be light. Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. Quick question. Where did God call the light from? Huh? Where did God call the light from? Where? In, from verse 2. Where? Okay, let's do like this. Where is the darkness? In man, Right? That's verse 2. Darkness is a man. So that means, so verse two, the ending of verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Right? Upon the face of the nations. So what is the action of the Spirit of God, the influence of the Spirit of God upon the nation to cause what? Light to come out of darkness. So that means God's spirit is called to light up dark places. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God called darkness. God called light from hell. He built his kingdom in hell. That is why the gospel is a war. God brought his arsenals, his weapons to where Satan dwells. I said, this one is my temple. Are you following? Ah. Glory to God. You know, this is, is you know. <laughs> ah. So, listen. God will look at, God looks at an unregenerated man. And God's disposition to an unregenerated man is that that is my house. Ha <laughs> ha. What Satan thinks he owns, God says, I bought it. <laughs> wow. wow. So Genesis 1-3 has nothing to do, he's not talking about the sun. When God says, let there be light and there was light, what it means is light be. God commanded light to shine out of darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 2 and 3. That is what it is. Paul is narrating Moses' teaching. Hallelujah. Verse 3, verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 4, we go down. If you want to read it into verse 6, you see it. Amen. Praise God. 
So, like to Okay, that is Genesis. That's Genesis. The darkened heart is God's tabernacle. The darkened heart is God's tabernacle, where God wants to live. Where God wants to live, because He knows that He's coming in there. He lights up that place. The ministry of the Spirit, the fellowship of those who are anointed, are called to light up dark places. We are called to light up dark places. Hallelujah. Do you see this? We are called to light up dark places. The temple of idols, that is where God wants to sleep and walk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 4. Verse 4. Stay with me, please. Stay. Verse 4. And God saw the light that was good. Pay attention here. And God divided the light from darkness. God divided the light from darkness. The word divided is the word badal in the Hebrew. B-A-D-A-L. Badal. Don't forget that darkness was already in existence, right? In the heart of man, in Genesis 1-2. So when God caused light to shine in the heart of man, right? He now separated those who light has shined in and those who not, that, that, that has not happened yet. Okay, so he says, so God spoke the light and then separated light from darkness. In the Hebrew, when God said light be, what that means is I am the light. I am the light. When he says let there be light, it means I am the light. That is I will be the light or I am the light that will lighten up man. That will lighten up man. That's what it means. I am the light. Or you can say, I am your light. I am your light. When he, when, when he says, and God divided the light from the darkness. That word divide is used for separation. Separation. It was used in Exodus 26 verse 33 to separate the sections in the temple. It was also used in Leviticus 1.17. Talking about temple sacrifice. You can, be, you can check it out. Leviticus 1.17. Same thing in Leviticus 5.8. Same thing. But I want you to look at this one. Leviticus 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Remember, the audience of Genesis is the audience also in Leviticus. Right? Okay. So Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. The end goal of catechismus is so that you can practice the things of the spirit. And this includes the preaching of the gospel and the operations of the gift of the spirit. That's what we're going to do later today. After the laying on of hands, we trust God. See, let me tell you something. We trust God that there will be a greater move of the spirit this evening. We trust him. And do you know how God will work? God walks, right, when we also do what? We yield, right? 
Sure you know. That's how God works. God will not work if we don't yield. Amen? 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 So when you said, just like how Pastor Kossi was leading us in prayer this afternoon, I mean, sorry, this morning, you understand? You know, you go out for evangelism, right? You are preaching the gospel, and the person is doing one kind, one kind. Just give a word of knowledge. Give a word of knowledge. Don't be afraid. Huh? Don't give, say, oh, brother, this, this, this and this and this have been, you know, wrong with you. Say, how do you know that? Well, I know that by the spirit of God. That's why I'm preaching to you. I want you to have that same spirit. You see that? Because you are supernatural. Hallelujah. Can't you see that the work of God on the earth is supernatural? This, what I is working is through the influence of his spirit. Where is his spirit today? In man. So how will God carry out his assignment that is forever? How will God carry out his reign that is forever? In man. In you and I. Amen? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world must become the kingdom of God. God must establish his kingdom across the earth. I told you. God is not interested in anything that is happening in heaven. God is in all interested in what is happening here on the earth. God wants to live on the earth. Amen? Leviticus 10, 10. Look at it. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. The word divided there. I want you to see it. It says, And that you may put a difference between what? Holy and the unholy. And between what? The unclean and the clean. So that means badal, badal is used for, to distinguish what is holy and what is un, unholy. So in Genesis 1 verse 4, God is God distinguish those who have been lightened and those who are darkened. Right? So he does that distinguishing. Are you seeing that? Okay. Now look at um, Leviticus 11. Leviticus, I want us to also read that one. Leviticus 11 verse 47. But I will read from verse 44. He says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourself. And, you shall, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defy yourself from any manner of creeping things that creep upon the earth. For I, for, I, for I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. He therefore what? Be holy. For I, I am holy. This is, this, is, this is the law of the beast and of the fowl, and of every living creature that moved in the, moving in the waters, and of every creature that creeped upon the earth. Verse 47 now. To make a difference between what? The unclean and the clean, and between the beasts that they may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. The point I want you to see here is verse 45 actually. When he says that God, God made a difference. He says, from the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore what? Be holy. So, how does a man become holy? He becomes holy by God's work. I brought them out of the land of Egypt. He said, I brought you out so that I will be your God. Now, I will be your God in what sense? Because I am what? Holy. So, you are holy. Are you saying that? Okay. So, so we see that God, when God is creating a separation, that separation means to call his people holy. The separation of God, ecclesia, the church, called out. That is a separation. And by that action of separation, he calls us holy, sanctified people. Sanctified people. 
So, if Genesis 1 is a redemptive story, it will mean the light separated from darkness will be referring to his people. How God called his people out of darkness. How he separated them and called them holy. Are you following? Are you following? An example, just write this down to read it. You can read it later. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 21, where you see the word earth was used for people that are in darkness. People that are in chaos. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 21, you see there. And Jeremiah is teaching from Genesis. Jeremiah is teaching from Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2. So, so Genesis 1 and Genesis 1, 1 to 3 is a story of God's redemption. It's a story of God's redemption. It's a story of God's redemption. Verse 1 is God's plan. A fresh start. A fresh creation. Heaven and earth. The union of God and man is the new creation. Why does God require a fresh start? Verse 2. Because man is in desolation. Man is in chaos. Man is corrupted. And what will bring about that redemption? The spirit of God. Still in verse 2. The spirit of God will carry out this redemption in man. What is the spirit work? The spirit work is that it would cause light to appear in the darkness of man's heart. That is what is called the new beginning. That is the new creation in Christ. That is the new creation in Christ. That is the exodus. The exodus from darkness into light. The exodus from darkness into light. Caused by his spirit. That is the separation. That is the separation. That is the separation. So, the exodus is God's new creation. Is God's recreation. That's the exodus. So, when he says in Exodus 20, remember the Lord God. Six days, he created the heavens and the earth. Seven days, he rested. That's Exodus 20, verse 11 to 12. And then, he goes to Deuteronomy 5. And says, and talks about that same Sabbath. And says, you should remember it. Because that's the day the Lord brought you out of bondage. He's saying that the deliverance is what brought the new creation. He's saying... That deliverance brought order into man's life. That deliverance brought order. Genesis 1 and 2 is disorder. Chaos. Light is order. Light is order. That separation is order. When you see somebody struggling in sin, when you see somebody struggling in depression, when you see somebody struggling with different kind of vices, don't criticize. It's in disorder. You have been called to help. You have been called to bring heed to that person. You have been called to bring heed to that person. Let the Holy Ghost arise in you. Let the Holy Ghost arise in you. 
to help that person. To bring orderliness in his heart. Are you following? To bring orderliness in his heart. That orderliness is light. That orderliness is light. So, if God separated, if God's separation is redemption, please listen. If God's separation is redemption, which is the new creation, it will mean that God's separation is a gathering. The gathering. The gathering of the saints. The gathering of the saints. The gathering of the saints. What happens when saints gather? What happens when saints, like here, yeah, we're all saints. What happens when we gather? There is a move of the Spirit. When we gather, there is a demonstration of the Spirit. Why is there a demonstration of the Spirit? Because we are God's tabernacle. Because we are God's temple. It means that this new creation man has an ability to see. Has an ability to hear. It means that this new creation man has an ability to heal, to perform, to do miracles. Because that is God's place of worship. God is now living in that man. Man has become the epic center of God's worship. Are you following, guys? So that means the new creation is a gathering. It's a gathering. We are called out of darkness. The gathering of spiritual men. The gathering of spiritual men. The gathering of spiritual men. So what is the Sabbath of God? The Sabbath of God is God's redemption. The Sabbath of God is God's rest in man. Is God's rest in man. So when the Bible says, and God rested on the seventh day, when he says he has finished his work, if you read Exodus, Together with Genesis, right? You will see that what that means is that God rested after he had redeemed man. The rest of God is man. God's rest place is man. Man has become the ark of God. The ark of God. The place of his rest. The place of his rest. The place of his rest. Where did God get his son from? God got his son from bondage. That's we. God got his son from darkness. That's us. That's us. So the Sabbath is not a day of it's not like the Sabbath is not like, oh, we have entered into God's rest and there is we're not doing anything. No. The sub, do you believe that the Sabbath is still continuing now? Wow. Because God is still calling man out of darkness. So the Sabbath is not just rest, it is walk in rest. It is walk in rest. What work? The redemptive work. The preaching of the gospel. 
So the Sabbath is still ongoing. 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 Are you with me, guys? So, so, write this down, please. The Sabbath isn't. I know most of you have been looking at the time. It will, the time, whether you look at it or not, it will go. I will not increase it. Look at me and hear me. They will, I will not even be allowed, okay? Just, just listen. Please. You just be turning, turning. It's okay. Amen? Don't worry. So the Sabbath, listen now. The Sabbath isn't for inactivity. Guys, do you understand what that means? What, first of all, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is redemption and what? The new creation. Rabbi? How God delivers man. Right? If that, because the Bible says when that happened, he rested. Right? So that means the activities of God in the Sabbath is redemption. So I'm not asking you a question. Is the Sabbath still going on now? Why? Because God is still delivering men from darkness. Are you seeing that? So the Sabbath is not inactivity. You know, the Bible says, he that I believe have entered into rest. And we are sitting down. We say, I've entered into rest. We're not doing, it's not true. The rest of God, there is an activity in the rest of God. There's an activity in the temple of God. That rest or that walk is the preaching of the gospel. So Sabbath doesn't mean do not walk. Sabbath doesn't mean do not walk. Sabbath means a walk in the rest. A walk in the redemption. So for example, do you notice, let me, let me stay up your mind. Do you notice, you can check it out in the synoptic. Do you notice, Jesus often liked to heal in the Sabbath. Eh? Jesus liked to heal in the Sabbath. And they will now accuse him and say, why are you healing? Then Jesus will say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Because in the Sabbath, we cause deliverance, healing. Go and check it. All the thing that he was doing, he was to heal, to deliver. And he was doing it on the Sabbath. He's teaching us that the Sabbath is an activity of deliverance. Every day for the believer is Sabbath. Every day for the believer is Sabbath. Which every, that means every day the, the ministry of the Spirit is constantly working. Are you getting it? Are you seeing what we are talking about? So, Jesus always does the opposite. The Pharisees, and they didn't understand the scriptures. They think that when he says the Sabbath, we're just going to sleep. No! Jesus was teaching us that that Sabbath is where God is carrying out his work of healing and deliverance. God is carrying out his work of redemption. Are you getting what I'm talking about here today? So, 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 if Sabbath, write this down, or let, let me put it like this, let's put it like this. Since Sabbath isn't inactivity, 
It is the opposite of chaos. It is the opposite of what the devil has done. You see what the devil has done in Genesis 6. So, it is the opposite. The opposite of the Sabbath is what Satan has done. The chaos, the disorderliness. So, if that is the case, Sabbath is a responsibility. Listen carefully to something here. Because of time, I don't want us to go there. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, you will see that the Bible says, very good, thank you very much. It says the earth was so corrupt before God and the earth was what? Filled with what? Violence. What is the opposite of this? The knowledge of God to fill the earth. That is the Sabbath. So, Satan wants to orchestrate this. God wants to counter it and restore man. Are you seeing that? God wants to fill the earth. In other words, in other words. Now, do you, like I said, that God, remember that God called Noah, right? In the midst of the chaos, right? Now, what does Noah mean? Rest, right? Comfort, rest place, refreshing. So in the midst, listen now, in the midst of chaos, that is where God's rest place is found. In the midst of chaos, that is where God's rest place is found. God establishes his temple in the midst of chaos. He establishes his temple in the midst of chaos. And he does this by curing chaos. He cures it. Sabbath is a cure to chaos. Sabbath is a cure to chaos. Is a cure to chaos. The children of Israelites were saved. They were delivered. And when they were delivered, the mandate that God gave them is that they should be kings and priests. They were saved to serve. They were rescued from Egypt to serve. But they didn't fulfill that promise. They didn't fulfill that assignment. They didn't fulfill it. So, God will now call men in different parts of the world and tabernacle in those men to establish his rest place on the earth. To establish his rest place on the earth. So, in the rest place of God, the activity is preaching. God working in his rest place to restore order and light. So, when he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Say, six days the Lord Worked. Seven days he rested and sanctified it. What we are seeing there is that God hallows, sanctifies the day of his rest. The day of his rest. That means Sabbath is a ministry. Sabbath is a ministry. A ministry that brings restoration to disorder. 
a ministry that brings restoration to disorder. So in Exodus 20, he says, remember the Sabbath day. Meaning, remember redemption. That is, God is saying, every day of your life, remember that you were saved. That remembrance, how do you remember that you are saved? You are preaching the gospel. You are preaching the gospel. You are preaching the gospel. To remember the Sabbath day is a message. To remember the Sabbath day is a message. You are remembering the day of redemption. You are remembering God's story of redemption. Guys, don't you think that our message, our, the story of our life is redemption? How God saved us? Right? How God saved us? God is saying that story of how I saved you is your message to another unregenerated man. So, God's story of redemption is our message. God's story of redemption is our story. Salvation is a call to ministry. Please write and pay attention. Salvation is a call to ministry. Redemption is a call to ministry. Exodus is a call to ministry. Genesis is a call to ministry. Pastor Ima, when he was teaching, referred us to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. When God decided to make man in his image and his likeness. In verse 27, he says, let them have dominion. Right? He says, let them have dominion. He says in 28, and God created them, male and female. And God blessed them and created them. And God said unto them, what did he say? Be fruitful. Replenish the earth. Replenish the earth. He says, subdue and have dominion. Why will he say we should replenish the earth? Because the earth is without form and void. It's empty. It's in chaos. So God wants to fill the earth with his family. God wants to fill the earth with his kind. God wants to fill the earth and make his earth his home. The earth by design is God's home. Anytime, anytime you are hearing that, what you should be hearing is that God wants to dwell in every man on the earth. That's what it means. Look at what he says. He says subdue. What does it mean to subdue? What does it mean? It means that there, is, there are things in the earth that you need to take dominion over. That's the works of darkness. So by, by the fact that you have been called of God, God calls you to subdue the works of darkness. Are you following? So subdue the earth. So you are called out of darkness. You are called into a responsibility. You are called into a duty. You are called into the fellowship of the anointed. Because there are men and women 
that shared the same office that many years ago, that you shared the same office. So God calls us to take dominion over the works of darkness. To take dominion over the work of darkness. So, the Sabbath is therefore God's will for the whole earth. It's therefore God's will for the whole earth. And I'll close with this. That if and since that is God's Sabbath, it will mean that this man, you and I, that God has already rested in, right? God desires that the activities of his spirit becomes an everyday occurrence in our lives. The activities of his spirit becomes an everyday thing. So that means that the believer is encouraged 24 hours, 7 days, to practice the things that pertains to the spirit. As we will come this afternoon, right? We will be giving ourselves to these things. We will be giving ourselves, we will be expressing ourselves to these things. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to stop. Don't worry. I'll stop. Right? Next five minutes, I'll stop. I've closed my notes. I'm not looking at my notes again. You understand? So, we are going to give ourselves to these things. And the way we open ourselves to these things is that we begin by praying in tongues. You see, as we pray in tongues, something happens to us in our spirit. We allow, first of all, we allow our minds, right? We suppress the activities of our minds, right? And we now allow the influence of God's spirit gain dominance. And when that happens, we now begin to have free flow of revelation. Free flow of utterance. Free flow of the power gifts. Why do we take an endeavor to practice it? Number one, God has called us his anointed. Number two, when we, are, when we go out into the field, we know that we have a working knowledge of these things. Are you there? So that means I'm encouraging you that if you want to see more demonstrations of the things of the spirit, come, come, come with that, that, that eagerness. Come with that eagerness. Because as you come with that eagerness, right, you are allowing yourself to respond to the indwelling of God's spirit in your life. See, if you want to see every day more and more of the gift of the spirit, this is how it works. This is the, one of the things it works. Yes, you pray in tongues. But you see, those who are giving to the preaching of the gospel, right, will experience more of the gift of the Spirit. Because the gift of the Spirit is anchored on that ministry. That's why the Bible says, anywhere they went, the Lord walking with them. Because they went out preaching. Are you following? So come with that. Come to this afternoon session as a minister of the gospel. Like, wear that garment. 
that I'm coming into this place as a prophet. I will see as I ought to see. I will hear as I ought to hear. And I will speak as I ought to. Don't come into this place as though, oh, I'm just born again. I don't, no, 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 no. This is the fourth day, right? The fourth day of this meeting. And the information in this conference has, to, has, has told you that you have been called into a supernatural office. So come with that consciousness. And I can tell you, you are going to see things you have never seen before. I'm telling you. You are going to hear things you have never heard before by the Holy Ghost. As hands will be laid on you, it will cause a steering. It will cause a steering. See, I'm sorry, sir, but please help me. Just you go. Let me tell you something. When hands are laid on you, listen, listen to me. Be intelligent in the spirit. When hands are laid on you, don't just go and sit down. Pray tongues. It's a steering. It's a steering. Remember what Paul told Timothy. He says, stir up the gift that has been given unto you by my laying on of hands. He tells Timothy, wage a good warfare. It is by the laying on of you, stir things. Are you getting what I'm saying? See, I want you to come here to make what God has achieved in you, the Sabbath of God, arise in your consciousness. Are you listening to me? So be that sensitive. Let's stand on my pray. Let's stand on our pray. Pray in tongues.